Dr. Cheryl Selman, and welcome to The Love Code. Thank you for joining me. I always love doing The Love Code because this is an opportunity to be uplifted, to be transformed. The Love Code is about opening your heart, about accessing the possibility of healing and transformation, you know, all those things that really define the quality of our life. So, as always, my guests are totally inspiring, and we are about to have another one of those wonderful conversations. And if you are visiting the Love Code for the very first time, welcome. I trust you'll be a part of my community and return every week. If you'd like to go to my Facebook page, which is Dr. Cheryl Selman, you can actually get all my weekly shows that I do. I have two podcasts on this network. And uh, the other option is just go to my website, drcherylselman.com, because you can opt in there, and I send the archive shows out to you and other information. I'm, I'm into all sorts of interesting things related to health, well-being, spirituality. So come along and join this ever-growing community. It's all about coming together and supporting each other on this journey. So having said all that, I want to introduce you to my guest today. I want us to talk about a subject that I think is really important because we're going to be exploring the role of self-esteem and why it is necessary to create healthy relationships, all forms of relationships, by the way. And my guest today is Sharon St. John. She's the author of the memoir, Me, Myself, and Men, who has worked for the Federal Bureau of Prisons for 20 years. Her memoir recounts her life in foster care as a child, her struggles with self-esteem, and her relationships with the men in her life. She is also the author of the novel, Issues, and she has a bachelor's degree in criminal justice from St. John's University. And it's my pleasure to welcome Sharon to the show. So, hello, Sharon, and welcome to The Love Code. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, it sounds like you have had quite a life's journey of of lessons, of learning, of healing. And I always think it's so powerful, Sharon, to uh, have my guests share their stories because you know, it's the wounded healer. It's those of us that have gone through the challenges in life, whether it's a health challenge or whether it's a relationship challenge or a family trauma that allows us to really find strength, wisdom, and uh, the ability to transform situations so we can then turn around and support and assist other people on their healing journey. So, I know you have been through quite a journey, and I was wondering if you would be willing to share a little bit about your story. Well, for me and self-esteem issues, I believe it started when I was younger, of course. Um, I was placed in foster care at the age of eight by my mom. Um, She also did. She started with... um, You know, making comparisons between me and my sisters because my sisters are of the fairer skin and I'm darker skin. 
And, you know, we had different dads, so it was always that comparison before I went into foster care. And then going into foster care and dealing with those different people and just being a child and having to listen to grown-ups talk about me in the manner that they did, it was it was a hit for me on my self-esteem. Like, why don't these adults like me? Um, mm. Being that young also, I felt I was also feeling like, why am I here? Like, why did Mommy and Daddy send me here? So I, all of that took a hit to my self-esteem. And then growing up, um, trying to figure it all out and trying to accept myself despite everything that I've heard people say about me, it, it, it took a while to get to a point where I am now. So did your mother kind of surrender you into foster care? Is that what happened? Is that how it works? Yeah, well, she came back and got us. I was 13 when she finally came back to, to get us. But, yeah, she she voluntarily wow. placed us in foster home. Wow. So you were in a foster home for five years. Yeah, about four and a half, yes. Is that the same when the same family, or were you moved around? No, it was, it was two different foster homes. The wow. first one was what was that absolute, like? It was hard. It Go was ahead. really hard. Yeah. The first one was um, that was just a total nightmare. For we were there for about a year, a, you know, about a year, year and a half, and she was just horrible. I really believe that she was just in it for the money. Um, because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they pay them to, to house us, essentially. And right. she was just an absolute nightmare. I mean, my sister, there was an incident where my sister actually cooked rice better than her, and we all ended up on punishment. And she would make us stand in the corner on one foot facing the wall until late at night because the rice was better. She put a bell on the refrigerator. You couldn't eat anything after 5 o'clock. When you open the fridge, the bell will go off, and then you'll be on punishment. She was an absolute nightmare. She had this Doberman dog, and I'll never forget that dog, that um, he always had, like, diarrhea. And when we came home from school, she didn't really want to be bothered with us, I guess. And it was me and my younger sister. She literally chained us to the gate in the backyard, and the dog would be running around and stepping in his own diarrhea and would jump all over us. It, it, she was a nightmare. But, of course, when wow. when our social worker would come over, she didn't put that appearance up. It was, oh, everything is good. The house is beautiful and clean. And the house was really, it, it. the house really did look good on the outside, but no one knew what was going on inside. Wow. It was like torture, actually. That was my first foster home, but... The second foster home was, it was better than that one. Um, I do owe a lot to the, to that family because, again, I was born and raised in Brooklyn. And um, so that was my first time actually seeing what, you know, family with a mother and father sitting down to the table together and doing those type of things. But they still had their issues. You know, they she had her older kids and, 
they just, for some reason, they just did not like me. And I would hear them say things like, you know, I'm ugly, I, my sisters look better than me, things like that. But I still feel grateful in a sense that I took something away from being in that last foster home as far as family and and picturing how I would like things to be when I decide to get older and what I envision of a family. I think there's something, any bad situation, I just believe there's something good that can be taken from that situation, even if it's the smallest thing. Yeah, you know, and and it's like you have um, that part of you that has something to hold on to for the for the future, right? The possibilities. So no matter what it yeah. looked like, there was some place inside you that still was strong, that held strong. Yeah, I I I saw things I I didn't want to see, but I knew that. I knew what I wanted when I got older, and I knew what I definitely did not want when I got older. So just being exposed to certain things, it, it shaped me as a person when I got older. So that's what I'm saying. I had to be grateful for those little things that I was able to, you know, put it all together and, and make that part of who I am. Well, so your mother came and got you when you were and your sister to deal with your both sisters or just one sister yeah both of us she it was it was all of us it was my brothers went into a different foster home so the three youngest girls myself and my two sisters um we went to one and then my brothers went to another wow but my brothers ran away from their foster home right oh well it was that bad as well. Huh? For my brothers? It was that yeah, yeah. Oh, they 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 hated their foster um home, so they both mm-hmm. ran away. Well you know, I mean that's a whole other story, isn't it? The the foster home situation. Well, you know, the foster how system people yes. use that yes, that whole system, right? People like mm-hmm. you were saying do it for the money but um, there's so much um, abuse going on in those systems. It's, uh, I, I have no experience of it at all, but just from your sharing and other stories, it seems like it's um, it's a really broken system in in most cases. I'm sure there's some good people who really do it oh, from yeah. their heart, but you know, yeah. a lot of uh, people do it for the wrong reasons, right? So, yeah. so okay. So your so your mom came and got you back at thirteen. Did that improve your situation? How, what was life like at that point? Um, when she came back and got us, I was, I mean, I was happy to be out of the foster care. I was, I was happy to, you know, be under the same roof. But when she came back, she worked in Brooklyn still, and so she bought the house in Long Island, um, New York, and at 14, she left to go live in Brooklyn because it was closer for her. So me and my sister was 
we was in the house by ourselves, but we went to school every single day. No one ever knew that we were there by ourselves. My mother still paid the mortgage and everything from Brooklyn, and we lived. So we, I, I was happy just being out of foster home. <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah. yeah. And 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 what an um a testament to you, Sharon, because then you went on and went to St. John's University, got a degree. Yep. Yep. So that's what I'm saying. We we always was focused on wanting more and and having better for ourselves. So we that's why I said we went to school every single day. No one ever knew that we weren't um that we were there by ourselves. Yeah. Because we were yeah. focused. Yeah. Wow. So um so you were able to then graduate from university and then you decided to work in the prison community, Federal Bureau of Prisons for twenty years. Yeah, what, January what was actually twenty one years. Wow. Well, I always Are you still there? To, Are you still? I am. I am. I am. What's, January is going to be 21 like? years. Wow. What do you do there? I started as a correction officer. Um, I worked my way up. I became a lieutenant. for Yeah, for 10 years I was a lieutenant, which is the supervisor of the officers. And so my current title is unit manager, which... Um, I'm in charge of more the staff who has to deal with the inmates re-entering into the community, getting them set up for release mm-hmm. back into the free world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, it's going on 21 what, years. Yeah. Um, how, how do you find that experience uh, based on your journey in life and being in the prison, um, you know, the pr- prison world? What, what what have you learned from that experience? As far as dealing with inmates, or well, you know, it's like you know, it's like I would I would imagine you meet inmates who've had experiences in their early childhood of abuse similar to you, you, for whatever reason, your soul chose another path and you've really um, taken those past experiences and found the grit to move on and create a career for yourself and now you're an author. um, But you must see people there who didn't do that. When dealing with inmates as an officer, I really tried not to because you want to be fair and impartial when you're dealing with inmates. So I really tried not to dig too much into what what these people crimes were that led them into to prison because everybody has choices in life and yeah. I mean any one of us could have made the wrong choice and ended up where these people ended up. And so I didn't want to – I don't want to be judgmental of anyone because me growing up, I felt like I was judged based on my looks, 
the color of my skin, everything. So I don't want to judge anybody on why they did what they did or however they did what they did to get into jail. So I never really dug deep into why those inmates were there. I treat all the inmates fairly. And so that's how I pretty much made my way. I, I You know, in prison, they, they have their hierarchy, you know, they, they're separate by races and nationalities, and that's the what we call in the prison system prison politics. I don't get involved in that. I don't allow that to to skew my my thoughts. So I just once you start reading into oh this inmate committed this crime, this is sex offense, this is the, then you start to it changes you. And I I just never wanted that to happen. I I didn't allow that to happen to me. I wanted to be me at all times. Yeah. Yeah, good for you. You know, not, not getting sucked into the drama of it all. Yeah. So let's talk about your your, your book, Me, Myself, and Men. So let's let's explore the the theme that you've written about, which has to do with self esteem. Which is a big story <laughs> itself. It's a big, it's a big topic. Why did you write this book? And tell us about it. Well, in this book, I felt I started writing it. You know, young teenager. You know, my first little heartbreak, <laughs> and I just started writing. I still have the composition. You know, the black and white notebooks <laughs> that we used to write on back to. Practice your penmanship. Right. That's where I started just I remember jotting down my little right. I, that's why I started writing it. And then as I got older, and I was going through more things with men and just trying to get them to see me and love me and like me and what you know, I, that's what led to me just saying, you know what? Everything that I've gone through just trying in in pursuit of love while still not loving myself, somebody else is probably going through this that will probably need to hear it. Or just if they read it and be like, oh, my God, I don't ever want to be like her. I want to do something different, make the change now. That's that's my hope for the book. Um, I wrote it to free myself of the guilt of allowing myself to be placed in all of those situations. It was like once I put it on, once I write it all down, uh, it, that part of it is over for me. This, That situation has no more power over me. I'm not going to let it affect my thoughts the way that it did. So what did you experience when you got into the world of relationships, Sharon, that brought this issue up to your awareness? I I went through a lot, just disrespect. Um, of course, at some point it was physical abuse, emotional abuse. I went through all of that, and um, so... I went into details in the book about what led to to all of it um, and how I just walked away from it in the end, but that's that's what I 
I try to let the people see when they read the book, like my own mental thoughts was keeping me locked into these toxic relationships because I kept feeling like if I left, um, no one else is going to want me. And it, it obviously wasn't true, but I stayed with people who were no good for me that meant me no good in the end. I was pretty much used, you know, I was always focused, so I always had, you know, my little job and my little money and stuff like that. So I started trying to just buy men's love. It, it, none of it worked. <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah. And so, Can't buy any love, right? Can't it, do it. Yeah, so no, none of it worked. <laughs> so, you know, I just finally got to a point where it was like, all right, I've tried it all. I've I've done all I can to, to – I. It's something within me. So then I have to really just start looking at me. What am I putting out there? What am I doing that's allowing – I'm teaching these people that it's okay to treat me badly. That's what I'm teaching them because I'm ex- I'm giving them passes for treating me badly every single time. So I have to just stop that. I have to stop making up excuses for them. I have to stop making up excuses for myself, and I have to start – just being okay with being by myself. And once I started, you know, I started taking trips, going on vacations by myself. And I had a good time on vacation in another country by myself. And I was like, okay, I could do this. I'm okay by myself. And that's when it started, for me, it started to resonate a little more. Like, I don't, I don't need these people in my life that's making me feel bad about myself on a daily basis. I will be okay by myself until I meet someone who is going to reciprocate what I put out. Yeah, what a what an empowering um moment for you to have that realization. You know, I've I've worked um as a psychotherapist for many years. And, I was, in a sense, specializing in relationships and trying to understand relationships, trying to understand why we create, who we create, and the circumstances we create. It's pretty uh, awesome uh, process and journey, and it it definitely starts early in our life because if we've been, you know, we're so vulnerable in terms of taking in the messages and the experiences when we're young. And if we are in an environment, and you certainly had some serious challenges as a child to feel loved and appreciated and went through certain abuse, and that becomes a programming, right? It's, it kind of sets us up to recreate circumstances Later in life, it's it's like a hologram. It's like we have a certain programming and we put it into our operating system, and that's what shows up on our you know computer self until mm-hmm. we get to the place, which is always an amazing journey of awakening to realize that we can change the programming and get a different outcome. Right. That's that's a, a moment of true. Awakening and and it's like your soul is coming to the fore, 
and showing right. you who you really are and what's possible. Yes, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. And for me, it was moments when, you know, I would go jogging or just walking or just in the car. I wouldn't listen to music. And I would say I'm talking to God, I'm just talking out loud. But that helped me also, just speaking it, like I'm not going to tolerate this, I'm not going to do this, I'm just, this is it for me. And that gave me strength, it gave me power. It In those moments, it's like just a calm and a peace that you feel within and then, I guess within that state of being, I was able to see, like, the clarity. I was able to see things for what it really was, and I was able to act from that point. Well, that must have been a moment of incredible liberation for you because whatever arrived at that point in your journey in this lifetime it it, it was uh, it was like an awakening it was a freedom that and a clarity like you said you had to see that there were other choices you had about how you relate to yourself how you relate to the world how you relate to others that just must have been an amazing moment for you Sharon it was. It, it it was because that's when I just started to accept me for me and I realized that I have a strength within me that I can I had overcome so much and it was like, Why do you keep putting yourself in these situations where you have to where you have to overcome it? Just stop putting yourself in those situations where you have to overcome. Like, just be. Be happy within yourself. If someone is around you that's not making you happy, get that person away from me as quick as possible. And and that's what I did. I don't, I guess you could say so now that you, I'm older. I, sure. Oh, oh, wait. I was going to ask, did you, when, when you, when you uh, after going through those, you know, abusive relationships and unsatisfying relationships and realizing it isn't time to make a change. And you had to make the change. It wasn't going to come from changing the outside. It was going to come from changing the inside. Right. Did you do it through counseling? Did you read books? Did you, you know, what was it that helped you make that transition to a, a greater sense of self? Um, I did not go through counseling. I I guess I, I kind of knew all along that what was happening, what was going on, just it wasn't right, and I just had to stop. But for me, like I said, I I jogged, I talked, to, I, I, I prayed. I did everything that I possibly could to just, break it and it it was a point where I just didn't I think I just felt like I didn't care anymore I just didn't care anymore and that was that was it for me like I can't care about this stuff anymore I just have to care about me 
it and because I'm the type of person I'm not a I'm not a selfish person, so I'm always thinking of other people and I always want to please and make someone else happy and and it just got to a point where I just realized I can't change that person. I have to change me. I have to make myself happy because I'm working so hard to make someone else happy that I'm not happy. So once I started to just not care anymore and I had to take that moment to be a little selfish, I had to be a little selfish and just start make trying to make myself happy. Those were the times that I was like, yes. When I was able to say no to someone who I knew was using me and I didn't feel guilty about it anymore. Because I used to feel guilty when yeah. someone would, mm-hmm, when someone would Go ask ahead, me for something. When someone would ask me, and I know that they, you know, they were using me. I knew it, and but I still felt bad that I couldn't help. But it was to the point where, when I finally was able to say no, and I did not feel guilty about it anymore, I knew I was on the right path of just pleasing me and making myself happy, and and removing myself from that bad situation because, you know, the more you tell someone no who means you no good, they're eventually just going to leave you alone. And, and that's what happened. They they left and I saw things starting to come to me in my world that was better for me. You know, my jobs, I, I was moving up and just things started to fall in line once the negativity fell by the wayside. And and when I started seeing that stuff happening around me, I was like, okay, I'm on the right path now. Well, how exciting for you when you saw like the light was dawning that there that there there was a new life for you, that you were creating a new life for you. Yeah, it was. I was I was very happy to to see things moving along and I knew I knew things was going to be okay. You know, I believed mm-hmm. and that that things was going to be okay. And I just kept pushing on, just wake up every day, do whatever makes me happy and so are you so are you in a relationship now or are you just your no, relationship I'm, with yourself? I am in a relationship with myself, and I'm loving every single moment of it. <laughs> I'm loving every single you know, moment of it. You, you know, you know, Sharon, your your story is. It's not that um, people go through abusive childhood, although you know we we um, can form these uh, negative programmings just by observing behavior in our parents, they may relate to us in a loving way, but what we absorb in our environment also has an impact on our perception of ourselves. And self-esteem is a really big issue for so many people because I, I think it is part of our journey in this lifetime to heal our sense of unworthiness and disgust disconnection from our true spiritual self it's um it's a it's a big story that so many people are dealing with 
uh, I see that a lot, and, and people express it in different ways. Women express it in one way, men express it in another way. But it's all this this um, journey in this lifetime of what you were saying earlier of learning to love yourself truly, being a place of um, acceptance of the amazing being and unique being that you are. Yeah. And there's someone out there for everyone. And so I'm just going to continue to love myself. And when that person comes along, I will be ready. I will be open and I'll be ready to accept love from someone who truly loves me. I'll be able to know what that looks like because I love myself because no one's going to come around me that's, if they, if I'm showing myself and I'm loving myself the way I truly do and they see that I love myself, they're going to want to either match that or if they don't, then I know that they're not, they're not for me. And, and that. So, so, so what are some of your, from your journey and what you're writing about, what, what are some of the, um, guidance that you have for others who find themselves in abusive situations based on, uh, could you really look at themselves, that unworthiness that they carry, which was your journey. What what are your, uh, you know, insights, what words of wisdom do you offer people? I don't know whether you do any lecturing, whether you talk to groups, or just based on the work with your own writing in your new book. What 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 are you you know what's what are your words of wisdom to those people that you see or encounter? I haven't done any lecturing. Um, I just released the book and right before COVID hit, so that was my thing. I wanted to do you know book signings and and um, speaking, um, but of course with COVID and everything that hit the world, <laughs> that all took a back burner. <laughs> so, but I would, it all changes. <laughs> yes, but I would just love to, you know, those those women, those girls out there, because I started as a young girl, you know, trying to love people that they they themselves probably didn't love themselves. Um, because men go through things too, and probably the men that I was trying to have relationships with, maybe they were dealing with self-esteem issues themselves. At the time, I, I didn't know it, and I got older. I'm like, you know, he probably was dealing with something then also. But um, you just have to truly love love yourself. Like, you have to know that you're worth, know your worth. Like, if you truly believe that you are worthy of respect, that you are worthy of someone cherishing you, you're not going to accept less than that. You have to truly believe that you are worth whatever it is that you put for you, that you're worth it. Whatever struggles that man have to go through, if he have to jump through a thousand hoops, to get to your heart, you're worth it. In the end, you are worth it. 
And you know, it's uh, the only way out of pain and suffering, really, isn't it? It's like the the how however people uh, find their path to healing, whether people find that they have um, counselors or uh, groups, or whether they find a book that inspires them, or whether they just uh, meet and encounter people who can help them, but. The journey is unique for all of us, how we create it, but I think it starts with what you were saying, Sharon. You really prayed. You really arrived truly, truly at a point where, you know, it it had to be different. You had to create a different outcome. You were not going to accept how life was showing up for you, and you decided you needed to be the the key to that change well yeah it has to start with you <laughs> it it has to start with the with that with that individual you have to make that change you have to take that first step and once you set that goal for yourself it there shouldn't be nothing that derails you from that because at the end of the day you're only going to be cheating yourself if you backslide on a goal that you set for yourself you're only cheating yourself. So you stay focused, and it it will come. I believe that what you put out in the world will come back to you. you if you're a negative person, you're going to attract negative people. When you're positive, positive things happen around you. And and you just you got to believe. But it, it has to start within so- you. And, and, you know, some of your um, the talking points that you, you like to explore in, in conversations like this have to do with um, uh, people who seek relationships through online dating. And I find that's a really interesting topic to explore a little bit. I, I've never done online dating, so it's not my world. And, boy, I think it has a lot of pitfalls for sure. Although I've met people who've met each other online and have the most wonderful relationship because I guess you find your true love anywhere. Well, what are your thoughts about people who are seeking relationships through online dating services? I mean, in in this day and age, that seems to be the way of the world. I can't say that it's for me because I just I don't believe that you can really truly get to know someone behind a, a keyboard or a screen or anything like that because you can be who you want behind a keyboard. You type, you know, your fantasies, you know, it it is to me it's just not a real thing. And if you're dealing with self esteem issues, um, you know, people posting these pictures and the girls posting you know, that's all made up and provocative pictures and you're being who you are. Because for me, I don't wear makeup. I've never worn makeup. Um, so my pictures is not going to be all done up like some of the, the other ladies on there. So I might not get all those likes that the other women are getting because I'm not going to post those provocative pictures of myself. If you are dealing with low self-esteem, you're going to feel like, okay, something might be wrong with you it's going to take a hit to your self-esteem again like and and you don't want that i wouldn't put myself out there like that but i mean it's working for some people so i i can't totally knock it but i just feel like it wouldn't work for me and i don't 
I don't know if it's a good thing for someone who's suffering from low self-esteem and, you know, you get that person on there that's filling their head, telling them what they want to hear so they can, you know, for their own personal satisfaction, and then that person end up, you know, being heartbroken because someone was taking advantage of, you know, of them because they're on a computer screen. You don't really get to know someone. For me, actions speak louder than words, and I can't really see your actions from a computer screen. I just can't. (laughs) You know, um, there's always a saying that I would use in my workshops and lectures, and um, it's well, you know, well-known saying, but it goes like this, for things to change, first I must change And I guess if people think that they can attract or find a relationship online that somehow will be their their dream person, and they have not healed the place inside them that feels unworthy and unlovable, then it doesn't really matter where you seek to find a love. It's all going to turn out to be the same way, even though in the very beginning, it may seem like you are in this beautiful in love state, which is a very temporary and illusory state, I have to say, mm-hmm. if you are not truly congruent with that love of yourself. Because without yeah. it, um, it, it, you know, when I was uh, working with relationships, and I learned from um, a, a wonderful man named Dr. Harville Hendricks who has written a lot about relationships and he talks about these various stages and he said that the in love stage is when we are in this altered reality and we think we found the person who will be the answer to all of our our dreams and he said if you're lucky if you're lucky you stay in that place that stage maximum three years if you're lucky but at at the very you know it's the longest possible time is three years and generally it's shorter for people (laughs) that in love stage uh, dissipates much earlier and then you get into what he says is the stage of the power struggle in relationships Mm -hmm. and this is where all your unmet needs and and wounds that you had from your childhood surface and you project it onto each other or you want the other to be the parent and love you the way you never were loved because your bottom line belief in programming is that you can't get that love. You always create someone who can't give it to you and you're always trying to make it happen. But it's Mm -hmm. like trying to change the image in the mirror but the right. in, image in the mirror is only a reflection of yourself. You can't change that image in the mirror unless you change yourself, right? So it's it's such a, a, a profound dynamic when you understand how relationships are mirrors of the real belief systems you hold about yourself. And, and that becomes a, a time if someone is really ready to take that level of growth and responsibility to own it like you did own it that this is this outside world is reflecting how i really feel about myself and i can heal that place inside me so i can feel a better person and then have that world outside me reflect that right exactly i just 
when you when you try to live up to the hype when you look at television and you start fantasizing that that's what a relationship is real it it doesn't so with the person that you just mentioned in his book it's yeah what some people will call in a marriage they will call it the honeymoon phase but you can still have that even if you're just in a relationship long term when that goes away and you start delving into you know deeper issues it's how that person reacts to those issues is that person going to literally try to love you through those things when you're when you're when you're tapping into those issues that you had from childhood or you know things like that how is that person going to handle that situation is this person going to be patient and kind and love you through it or is this person going to tell you oh, i don't have time for that you need to go see a psychiatrist and, and deal with that on your own you don't really want you don't really want that type of person in your life and and that's when the hard part of a relationship goes through how that person handles you when you're going through those moments cuz it it comes and goes for me it did a lot and i was handled badly <laughs> when i was when certain things triggered those memories and I wanted to discuss it. I was, yeah, I was spoken to just horribly. I was treated, I was just disrespected in every way. And that's where the the whole book came from. You know, I I tell the story, the way it happened and and how I was handled and and how I ended up handling it was to to get away eventually, of course, because now I'm single. But I learned my deal breakers. I learned a lot of things about myself that I would never tolerate again with every situation that I was in trying to have a relationship while dealing with my own self-esteem issues because I truly didn't love myself enough that I felt I wasn't worthy of someone treating me better or I felt that I couldn't do any better, so I accepted a lot of things. But when it came time in the relationship for the, those hard parts is when the person really showed me who they were. And and that's what I really had to look at. That's why I said for me, it's actions speak louder than your words because people will tell you whatever they want to tell you to get what they want. But when their actions don't line up, then you really got to take a look at it. Someone could tell you I love you all day long, but if their actions aren't lining up with that, you need to really just pay attention to that. So what would you tell people who are listening who find themselves in um, situations that are not supportive and not loving or maybe abusive either physically or emotionally, mentally? What 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 would you what what advice and guidance what do you think is the number one thing you, you would want these people who may be listening um, to know and to take that first step of healing? Um, for some people, it helps to talk about it. If you have, you know, a, a close friend or family member or someone, you talk to them. You know, get it out. Get another perspective on whatever it is. Don't try to hold it in. 
you know, try to deal with it on your own because that's what kept me in a lot of my situations. I didn't talk to a lot of people. I was very private, and I probably would have not been in those situations as long as I was, um, you know, 10 years, 7 years, 3 years situationships had I just spoke to someone that would have been able to tell me, girl, you are in a toxic situation, you need to try to remove yourself. Don't try to deal with it on your own. Speak to someone. Yeah, I think that's great advice because especially when um, women are in abusive relationships, they um, the, the the pattern tends to be that you just um, keep it all in. You don't tell anyone. You pretend everything mm-hmm. is fine, and yep. you just try to deal with it and hope that the situation will improve somehow magically, <laughs> which it never does. It, it doesn't. I've been there. It does not. <laughs> but right? had I yeah. had I just spoke up, had I just said something. Someone probably would have, you know, if I would have just talked to someone, maybe the light bulb would have went off a whole lot sooner. The light bulb would have went off in it, instead of me staying in it so long. And in actuality, me writing the book, for some people, when they read it, that was the first time that they even learned that I was even going through any of the stuff that I was going through. They mm-hmm. never knew. And and they you was never, like, you know. You never, you, never, <laughs> you never let it out, huh? I, I didn't. Me writing the book and them reading the book was the first time that they learned it, and I just don't want – I don't want another person, another woman, another male out there, if they can get something from the book, to wait that long. I, I don't want for someone to wait as long as I did to get out, to get help, to try to, you know, learn that it's okay to be by yourself if if that's what it takes for you to find – that person that's truly going to love you, like, it's okay to be alone. It, it, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, to going out to dinner by yourself, going to movies by yourself. I've done it all. I told you, I've gone on vacation several countries by myself, and I had a great time. It is okay to, yeah, love on yourself. If you can't find that person that's going to love you, love on yourself. I love that. That's you know that's that's a great statement. <laughs> love on yourself. That's a banner right there. <laughs> Your tagline, Sharon. Um, I just I'm curious. Uh, uh, you know, what's your relationship with your sisters, your brothers? Um, have you been able to connect? And um, do you have do do you have a relationship with them now? How did you that all show up in your life? In all honesty, I'm like the glue to my family now. I I really am. Like everybody comes to me when they have issues. When they, everybody comes to me, um, mm. the 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 favoritism that my mom showed between me and my sisters, and it never interfered with our relationship as siblings. Like they all they saw what my because I'm the second to the youngest. So my older brothers and sisters, they all saw what my mother was doing. They they saw before I even saw it for myself what mommy was doing. You know, 
how it was affecting me. They saw it. And so they, they clung to me as a little girl. Like, I was, I'm the favorite little sister. And to this day, that's how it is. Like, I'm, I'm still the favorite. They all have, I don't have any children. And I'm the favorite auntie. Every, everybody comes to me. So hmm. I, I feel blessed You're in the that lights. way that, yeah. It, yeah, I didn't have, it. Yeah. none of it affected my relationship with my siblings. Yeah. I was just going to say you're the light in the family. Yeah. You know, with I'm your, the your big heart. And, <laughs> yeah. I'm How the blue. Beautiful. I think it's, How it's, beautiful. Yeah. I'm okay with me and my mom. We're okay. You know, I feel like she, I don't think she set out to, to hurt me emotionally. I don't think that she knew any better. She started having kids when she was 14. Yeah. So, she, you know, she just didn't know any better. And, again, me being a child, I couldn't come to that on my own. But getting older, I had to take a step back and look at me like, she was a little girl having all of these kids. She didn't really, she didn't know what she was doing. And I yeah. I can't blame her. Right. I, I, I have to give her a pass or whatever it is, she's going to have to answer for that. Whenever she reached her pearly gates or whatever the case may be, but I can't continue to punish her for that. I, I have to let that go. So me and my mom, we talk every single day, every day. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, um, you're, you're such a, a radiant light in this world, Sean, and I just want to acknowledge you. I'm glad you wrote your book because I have no doubt you'll be inspiring other people on their healing journey. But to you know have this conversation and thank you for being so honest and candid about your life. And because that's that's what uh, really helps other people to heal when we share our own wounds and know that we're grateful for them because they brought us to this moment, right? And I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for being the beautiful, loving woman that is such an inspiration and will be, you know, continue to be an inspiration to others in the world and helping to show them the path to healing and self-love. So thank you for all that you do and for who you are and for the wonderful path that you are embarking upon as an author now. And sharing this new memoir, Me, Myself, and Men. And if people want to learn more about you, I guess the best place for them to go is your uh, website, which is SharonStJohnAuthor.com, right? Is that yes. the best place yes. to send people? Yes. Okay, yes. so it's, it's um, SharonStJohnAuthor.com. Sharon, thanks so much for being with us today and for... Um, sharing your wonderful, inspiring story of overcoming all sorts of challenges and difficulties and uh, stepping into the light of your heart. Thank you so much. Thank you. And to all of you listening, thank you for joining me again for another episode of The Love Code. I trust you'll be part of the community and return every week. Remember, you can just go to my Facebook page, Dr. Cheryl Selman, get my shows there, and uh, 
You can also go to my website, drcherylselman.com. It's all about staying inspired, expanded, aware, and opening our heart to healing. So until next time, may your week be filled with love, peace, and harmony. Bye for now. Bye.